Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast Forgotten Books. I'm your host, Annika, and today I'll be reading you a chapter from The Wind in the Willows. This is a book originally published in 1908 and written by Kenneth Graham. It's a story about anamorphic animals who go on adventures, so let's get started. Chapter 1. The Riverbank. The mole had been working very hard all the morning spring cleaning his little home. First with brooms, then with dusters, then on ladders, steps, and chairs, with a brush and a pail of whitewash. Till he had dust in his throat and eyes and splashes of whitewash all over his black fur and aching back and weary arms. Spring was moving in the air above and in the earth below and around him, penetrating even his dark and lonely little house with its spirit of divine discontent and longing. It was a small wonder, then, that he suddenly flung down his brush on the floor and said, Bother, and, Oh, blow, and also, Hang spring cleaning, and bolted out of the house without even waiting to put on his coat. Something up above was calling him imperiously, and he made for the steep little tunnel which answered in his case to the graveled carriage drive owned by animals who, whose residents are nearer to the sun and air. So he scraped and scratched and scrabbled and scrooged, and then he scrooged again and scrabbled and scratched and scraped and worked busily with his little paws and muttered to himself, up we go, up we go, till at last, pop, his snout came out into the sunlight and he found himself rolling in the warm grass of a great meadow. This is fine, he said to himself, this is better than whitewashing. The sun struck hot on his fur, a soft breeze caressed his heated brow, and after the seclusion of the cellarage he had lived in for so long, the carol of happy birds fell on his dulled hearing almost like a shout. Jumping off all four legs at once in the joy of living and the delight of spring without its cleaning, he pursued his way across the meadow till he reached the hedge on the further side. "'Hold up,' said an elderly rabbit at the gap. Sixpence for the privilege of passing by the private road. He was bowled over in an instant by the impatient and contemptuous mole, who trod alongside of the hedge, chafing the other rabbits as they peeped hurriedly from their holes to see what the row was about. Onion sauce, onion sauce, he remarked jeeringly, and was gone before they could think of a thoroughly satisfactory reply. Then they all started grumbling at each other. How stupid you are! Why didn't you tell him? Well, why didn't you say? You might have reminded him. And so on in the usual way. But of course, it was then much too late, as is always the case. It all seemed too good to be true. Hither and thither, through the meadow, he rambled busily, along the hedgerows, across the copses, finding everywhere birds building, flowers budding, and leaves thrusting everything happy and progressive and occupied. And instead of having an uneasy conscience pricking him and whispering, whitewash, he somehow could only feel how jolly it was to be the only idle dog among these busy citizens. After all, the best part of a holiday is perhaps not so much to be the resting yourself, but as to see all of the other fellows busy working. He thought his happiness was complete when, as he meandered aimlessly along. Suddenly he stood by the edge of a full-fed river. Never in his life had he seen such a river before. This sleek, sinuous, full-bodied animal, chasing and chuckling, gripping things with a gurgle and leaving them with a laugh to fling itself on fresh playmates that shook themselves free. 
and were caught and held again. All was a shake, a shiver, glints and gleams and sparkles, rustle and swirl, chatter and bubble. The mole was bewitched, entranced, and fascinated. By the side of a river he trotted as one trots when very small by the side of a man who holds one spellbound by exciting stories. And when tired at last he sat on the bank while the river still chatted on to him, a babbling procession of the best stories in the world, sent from the heart of the earth as to be told at last to the insatiable sea. As he sat on the grass and looked across the river, a dark hole in the bank opposite, just above the water's edge, caught his eye. And dreamily he fell to considering what a nice, snug dwelling place it would make for an animal with few wants and fond of a bayou riverside residence. Above flood level and remote from noise and dust, he gazed. Something bright and small seemed to twinkle down in the heart of it, vanished, then twinkled once more, like a tiny star. But it could hardly be a star in such an unlikely situation, and it was too glittering and small for a glowworm. Then, as he looked, it winked at him, and so declared itself to be an eye, and a small face began to gradually grow up around it, like a frame around a picture. A brown little face with whiskers, a grave round face with the same twinkle in its eye that had first attracted his notice. Small, neat ears and thick, silky hair. It was a water rat. Then the two animals stood and regarded each other cautiously. Hello, mole, said the water rat. Hello, rat, said the mole. Would you like to come over? inquired the rat presently. Oh, it's all very well to talk, said the mole rather pettishly, he being new to a river and riverside life in its ways. The rat said nothing, but stooped and unfastened a rope and hauled on it then lightly stepped into a little boat which the mole had not observed. It was painted blue on the outside and white within, and was just the size for two animals. And the mole's whole heart went out to it at once, even though he did not yet fully understand its uses. The rat sculled smartly across and made it fast. Then he held up his forepaw as the mole stepped gingerly down. Linola, he said. Now then, step lively. And the mole, to his surprise and rapture, found himself actually seated in the stern of a real boat. Oh, this has been a wonderful day, he said, as the rat shoved off and took to the skulls again. Do you know I've never been in a boat before in all my life? What? cried the rat, open mouth. Never been in a... You've never... Well, I... What have you been doing then? "'Is it as nice as all that?' asked the mole shyly, though he was quite prepared to believe it as he leant back in his seat and surveyed the cushions, the oars, the rowlocks, and all the fascinating fittings, and felt the bow sway lightly under him. "'Nice! It's the only thing,' said the water rat solemnly, as he leaned forward for his stroke." Believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half as much worth doing as simply messing around in boats. Simply messing, he went on dreamily. Messing about in boats, messing. Look ahead, rat, cried the mole suddenly. It was too late. The boat struck the bank full tilt. 
The dreamer, the joyous oarman, lay on his back at the bottom of the boat with his heels in the air. About in boats all with fools, said the rat on, composedly picking himself up with a pleasant laugh. In or out of him, it doesn't matter. Nothing seems to really matter. That's the charm of it. Whether you get away or whether you don't. Whether you arrive at your destination or whether you never get anywhere at all. Whether you're busy or whether you do anything in particular. Or whether you've done it and you've always got something else to do. or And you can do it if you like, but you'd much better not. Look here. Yeah. If you've really got nothing else on hand this morning, suppose that we drop down the river together and have a long day of it. The mole waggled his toes from sheer happiness, spread his chest with a sigh of full contentment, and leaned back blissfully into the soft cushions. What a day I'm having, he said. Let us start at once. Hold on a hard minute then, said the rat. He looped the painter through a ring on his landing stage, and climbed up into the hole, and after a short interval reappeared staggering under a fat wicker's luncheon basket. "'Shove that under your feet,' he observed to the mole, as he passed it down into the boat. Then he untied the painter and took to the skulls again. "'What's inside of it?' asked the mole, wriggling with the curiosity. "'There's a cold chicken inside of it,' replied the rat briefly. Cold tongue, cold ham, cold beef, pickled iron, salad, French rolls, croissants, meat, meat, ginger beer, soda water, lemonade. Oh, stop, stop, said the mole in ecstasies. This is too much. You really think so, said the rat seriously. It's only what I always take on these excursions, and the other animals always telling me I'm a mean beast and cutting it very fine. The mole never heard a word of what he was saying absorbed in the new life he was entering upon, intoxicate with the sparkle, the ripple, and the scents, and the sounds, and the sunlight. He trailed a paw in the water and dreamed a long waking dreams. The water rat, like the good little fellow he was, sculled steadily upon and forebode to disturb him. I like your clothes an awful lot, old chap, he remarked after a half an hour or so had passed. I'm going to get a black velvet smoking suit myself one day, as soon as I can afford it. I beg your pardon, said the mole, pulling himself together with an effort. You must think me very rude, but all this is so new to me, so this this is a river. The river, corrected the rat. And you really live by the river? What a jolly life. By it and with it and on it and in it, said the rat. It's a brother and a sister to me, and aunts and company and food and drink, and, well, naturally, washing. It's my world and I don't want no other. What it hasn't got is not worth having, and what it doesn't know is not worth knowing. Oh, sometimes we've had together. Whether it's in winter or summer or spring or autumn, it's always got its fun and excitements. Why, when the floods are on in February, and my cellars and basement are brimming with drink that's no good to me, and the brown water runs by my best bedroom window, or again when it drops away and shows patches of mud that smell like plum cake, and the dry shod over most of the bed of it, and find fresh food to eat, and things that careless people have dropped out of their boats. But isn't it a bit dull at times? the mole ventured to ask. Just you in the river and no one else to pass a word with. No one else 
Oh, well, I mustn't be hard on you, said the rat with a forbearance. You're new to it, and of course, you don't know. The bank is so crowded nowadays that many people are moving away altogether. Oh, no, it isn't what it used to be at all. Otters, kingfishers, dab chicks, moor hens, and all that all them about all day long, always wanting you to do something. If a fellow has no business of his own to attend to. What lies over there? asked the mole, waving a paw towards the background of a woodland that darkly framed the water meadows on one side of the river. That? Oh, that's just the wild wood, said the rat shortly. We don't go there very much, we river bankers. Are they, are they very nice people in there? said the mole a trifle nervously. Well, replied the rat, let me see. The squirrels are all right, and the rabbits, some of them, but rabbits are a mixed lot. And then there's Badger, of course, he lives in the heart of it. Wouldn't live anywhere else, not even if you paid him to. Dear old Badger, no one interferes with him. They'd better not, he added significantly. What, why, who should interfere with him? asked the mole. Well, of course, there are others, explained the rat in a hesitant sort of way. Weasels and stoats and foxes and so on. They're all right, in a way. I'm very good friends with them, past the time of day when we meet, and all that. But they break out sometimes, and there's no denying it, and then, well, you can't really trust them, and that's the fact. Mole knew well that it is quite against animal etiquette to dwell on possible trouble ahead, or even allude to it, so he dropped the subject. And beyond the wild wood again, he asked, where it's all blue and dim and one sees what may be hills, or perhaps they mayn't, and something like smokes of towns, or is it only cloud drift? Beyond the wild woods comes the wild world, said the rat, and that's something that doesn't matter to either you or me. I've never been there and I'm never going, nor you either. If you've got any sense at all, don't ever refer to it again, please. Now then, here's a backwater at last, where we're going to lunch. Leaving the main stream, they now passed into what seemed at first sight like a little landlocked lake. Green turf sloped down to either edge. Brown snaky tree roots gleamed below the surface of the quiet water while ahead of them in the silvery shoulder and foamy tumble of a weir, arm in arm with the restless dripping mill wheel that held up its turn a grey gabled mill house, filled the air with a soothing murmur of a sound, dull and smothery, yet with a little clear voices speaking up cheerfully out of it at intervals. It was so very beautiful that the mole could only hold up both forepaws and gasp, Oh my, oh my, oh my! The rat brought that boat alongside the bank, made her fast, helped the still awkward mole safely across the shore, and swung out the luncheon basket. The mole begged as a favor that he would be allowed to unpack it all by himself, and the rat was very pleased to indulge him, and to sprawl at full length on the grass and rest. While his excited friend shook out the tablecloth and spread it, took out the mysterious packets and one by one arranged their contents in due order, still gasping, oh my, oh my, at each fresh revelation. When all was ready, the rat said, 
now pitchin' old fellow. And the mole was indeed very glad to obey, for he had started his spring cleaning at the very early hour of the morning, as people will do, and had not paused for a bite or a sup. And he had been through a great deal since that time, which now seemed so many days ago. "'What are you looking at?' said the rat presently, when the edge of their hunger had been somewhat dulled. And the mole's eyes were able to wander off the tablecloth a little. "'I am looking,' said the mole, "'at a streak of bubbles that I see travelling along the surface of the water. "'That is a thing that strikes me as funny.' "'Bubbles? Oh!' said the rat, and chirped cheerfully, in an inviting sort of way. A broad, glistening muzzle showed itself above the edge of the bank, and an otter hauled himself out of the water and shook it from his coat. "'Greedy bigots,' he observed, making for the provender. "'Why didn't you invite me, ratty?' "'This was an impromptu sort of affair,' exclaimed the rat. "'By the way, my friend, Mr. Mole.' "'Proud, I'm sure,' said the otter, and the two animals were friends forthwith. "'Such a rumpus everywhere,' continued the otter. "'All the world seems to be out on the river today. "'I came up the backwater to try and get a moment's peace, and then stumble upon you two fellows. "'At least, I beg your pardon, I don't exactly mean that, you know.' "'There was a rustle behind them, proceeding from the hedge wherein last year's leaves still clung thick.' A stripy head with high shoulders behind it peered forth on them. "'Come on, no badger!' shouted the rat. The badger trotted forward a pace or two, then grunted, "'Hm! Company!' and turned his back and disappeared from view. "'That's just the sort of fellow he is,' observed the disappointed rat. "'Simply ain't society. Now we shan't see any more of him today. Well, tell us who's out on the river.' Toad's out for one, replied the otter. In his brand new wager boat, new togs, new everything. The two animals looked at each other and laughed. Once it was nothing but sailing, said the rat. Then he tired of that and took to punting. Nothing would please him but to punt all day, every day. And a nice mess he made of it. Last year it was houseboating, and now we all have to go and stay with him in his houseboat and pretend we like it. And then he was going to spend the rest of his life on the houseboat. It's all the same. Whatever he takes up, he gets tired of it. And then he starts something fresh. Such a good fellow, too, remarked the otter reflectively. But no stability, especially in a boat. From where they sat, they could get a glimpse of the main stream across the island that separated them. And just then, a wager boat flashed into view. The rower, a short, stout figure, splashing badly and rolling a good deal, but working his hardest. The rat stood up and hailed him, but Toad, for it was he, shook his head and settled sternly into his work. "'He'll be out of that boat in a minute if he rows like that,' said the rat, sitting down again. "'Of course he will,' chuckled the otter. Did I ever tell you that good story about Toad and the lock keeper? It happened this way. Toad. An errant mayfly swerved unsteadily athwart the current in the intoxicated fashion affected by young blood. A cup of mayfly seeing life. A swirl of water and a clop. 
and the mayfly was visible no more. Neither was the otter. The mole looked down. The voice was still in his ears, but the turf whereon he had sprawled was clearly vacant. Not an otter to be seen, as far as the distant horizon. But again there was a streak of bubbles on the surface of the river. The rat hummed a tune, and the mole recollected that animal etiquette forbade any sort of comment on the sudden disappearance of one's friends at any moment, for any reason or no reason whatever. "'Well, well,' said the rat, "'I suppose we ought to be moving. I wonder which of us had better pack a luncheon basket.' He did not speak as if he was frightfully eager for the treat. "'Oh, please let me,' said the mole, so of course the rat let him. Packing the basket was not quite such pleasant work as unpacking the basket. It never is. But the mole was bent on enjoying everything, and although just when he had gotten the basket pack and strapped it up tightly he saw a plate staring up at him from the grass, and when the job had been done again the rat pointed out a fork, which anybody ought to have seen, and at last behold the mustard pot which he had been sitting on without knowing it. Still somehow the thing got finished at last without much of a loss of temper the afternoon sun was getting low as the rat sculled gently homeward in a dreamy mood murmuring poetry things over to himself and not paying much attention to mole but the mole was very full of lunch and self-satisfaction and pride and already quite at home in the boat so he thought and was getting a bit restless besides and presently he said, Ratty, please, I want to row now. The rat shook his head with a smile. Not yet, my young friend, he said. Wait until you've had a few lessons. It's not so easy as it looks. The mole was quiet for a minute or two, but he began to feel more and more jealous of rat, sculling so strongly and easily along, and his pride began to whisper that he could do it every bit as well. He jumped and seized the skulls so suddenly that the rat, who was gazing over and out to the water and saying more poetry things to himself, was taken by surprise and fell backwards off his seat with his legs in the air for the second time, while triumphant Mole stood in his place and grabbed the skulls with entire confidence. Oh, stop it, you silly oaf, cried the rat from the bottom of the boat. You can't do it, you'll have us over. The mole flung the skulls back with a flourish and made a great dig at the water. He missed the surface altogether. His legs flew up over his head and he found himself lying on the top of the prostrate rat. Greatly alarmed, he made a grab at the side of the boat and at the next moment, sploosh, over went the boat and he found himself struggling on the river. Oh my, how cold the water was and oh, how very wet it felt. How it sang in his ears as he went down, down, down. How bright and welcome the sun looked as he rose to the surface, coughing and spluttering. How black was his despair when he felt himself sinking again. Then a firm paw gripped him by the back of the neck. It was Rat, and he evidently laughing. The mole could feel him laughing, right down his arm, through his paw, and so into the mole's neck. The rat got hold of a skull and shoved it under the mole's arm. Then he did the same by the other side of him, and swimming behind, propelled the helpless animal to shore, hauled him out, and set him on the bank, 
a squashy, plumpy lump of misery. When the rat had rubbed him down a bit and wrung some of the wet out of him, he said, Now then, old fellow, trot up and down the towning path as hard as you can, till you're warm and dry again, while I drive for a luncheon basket. So the dismal mole, wet without and ashamed within, trotted about till he was fairly dry, while the rat plunged into the water again to recover the boat, tied her, made her fast, fetched his floating property ashore by degrees, and finally dived successfully for the luncheon basket, and struggled to land with it. When all was ready for a start once more, the mole limp and dejected, took his seat at the stern of the boat as they set off. He said with a low voice, broken with emotion, "'Rotting, my generous friend, I'm so sorry, and indeed for my foolish and ungrateful conduct. My heart quite fails me when I think of how I might have lost that beautiful luncheon basket. Indeed, I have been a complete oaf, I know it. Will you overlook it once and forgive me, please, and let things go on as before?' Oh, that's all right, bless you, responded the rat cheerily. What's a little wet to a water rat? I'm more in the water than out of it most days. Don't you think any more about it, and look here. I really think you had better come and stop with me for a little time. It's very plain and rough, you know, not like Toad's house at all. But you haven't gotten to see it yet. Still, I, I can make you comfortable and teach you how to row and swim and and soon you'll be handy on the water as any of us. The mole was so touched by his kind manner of speaking that he could find no voice to answer him, and he had to brush away a tear or two with the back of his paw. But the rat looked kindly in another direction, and presently the mole's spirits were revived again, and he was able to give some straight back talk to a couple of more hens who were sniggering to each other about his bedraggled appearance. When they got home, the rat made a bright fire in the parlor and planted the mole in an armchair in front of it, having fetched down a dressing gown and slippers for him, and told stories till supper time. Very thrilling stories they were, too, an earth-dwelling animal like mole. Stories about wires and sudden floods and leaping pike and steamers that flung hard bottles, at least the bottles were certainly flung, and from steamers, so presumably by them and about herons, and how particular they were with whom they spoke to, and about adventures in down drains and night fishing with otter, or excursions far afield with badger. Supper was a most cheerful meal, but very shortly afterwards a terribly sleepy mole had to be escorted upstairs by his considerate host to the best bedroom, where he soon laid his head on a pillow in great peace and contentment, knowing that his new-found friend, the river, was lapping the sill out of his window. This day was only the first of many similar ones for the emancipated mole, each of them longer and fuller of interest as the ripening summer moved onward. He learned to swim and to row and entered into the joy of running water, and with his ear to the reed stems he caught, at intervals, something of what the wind went whispering so constantly among them. That concludes chapter one of The Wind and the Willows. If you'd like to be notified when the next podcast comes out, please subscribe. I'll be reading chapter two, which is titled The Open Road. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, never forget about these books. Bye!